Welcome, everybody. This is The Food Fight. EIT Foods live podcast recording at Seed and Chips Food Innovation Summit in Milan. My name is Matt Eastland. And I'm Lakshmi Balathasan. And we both work for EIT Food, who are an organization who's building an innovative community to improve food together. So we've just had a panel discussion looking at food and healthy consumer choices from the industry perspective. And the question we were discussing was, should producers be responsible for making healthy food? And I think the answer to that was yes, producers are definitely doing their part to make healthy food available to consumers. And the question that we are going to be discussing in this panel is all this healthy food is available, but can we actually influence consumers to make a healthy choice? So uh, first on our panel is Danielle Nuremberg. She is a world-renowned researcher, speaker, and she is the founder and president of Food Tank. It's a not-for-profit organization focused on building a global community for healthy, nourished citizens. And second up, we have uh, Ines Denola, who's the MD of Smart with Food, which is a spin-off of the Belgian retailer Colright. He's also developing a platform which allows consumers to make healthier choices when purchasing food. And our final panelist for today is Bella Gill. She's a chef, a nutritionist, and a food activist. Bella hosts a cooking show in Brazil and has also published four best-selling cookbooks. Welcome, everybody, to The Food Fight. Great. So in the previous panel, we heard about the great work the producers were doing in producing healthy food. But given that their food-related diseases are continuing to rise, there does seem to be like a, a dislocation between the availability of healthy food and the choices that consumers make. So Danielle, I wondered if we could start with you. What do you think are the factors which are actually stopping people from making healthier choices? Is it choice? Is it price? Is it convenience? Is it education? Well, thank you, and thanks for putting this all together. I think this is a great forum to discuss these issues. I mean, I think, you know, I'd probably disagree with some of the things said on the last panel. I don't think there's a plethora of, of healthy food out there. There's um, a, a lot of, of still focus on uh, commodity crops like corn, rice, uh, uh, wheat, and soy, and, and not enough of, of nutrient-dense crops. So I, I think there needs to be, you know, if, if producers and governments, you know, can make those changes and switch to healthier crops, that would do a lot to benefit consumers. I would also say that we, we need to talk about affordability. You know, accessibility is great, availability is great, but if people can't afford these healthier products, then that's a real issue, especially for underserved communities or people who just don't have those kinds of products available to them. So there needs to be a combo of accessibility and affordability. And, and Bella, I saw you nodding there. Do you agree? I totally agree. I agree 100% because I think we should create opportunity to people to buy healthy food. And uh, opportunity means the financial access to food as well, not only the physical access to the food. So I come from Brazil, and Brazil is a country where we are seeing a rise on junk food eating habits. Like people are switching from like real food, our staples like rice and beans and vegetables, to the more convenient food, which is like junk food because they are everywhere and they're cheap. So I totally agree with that. We need the public policies to uh, help introduce real food in food deserts, for example, where like in Brazil we have a lot. So the disparity between healthy eating and non-healthy eating, it's huge in Brazil now. 
and that's really because of the accessibility. And there was someone uh, said, I think from Germany, that um, one of the, the two drives that make consumers do a choice when they are choosing what to eat, it's like nutrition and sustainability. And I was thinking, oh my God, that's the dream coming true. <laughs> like in Brazil, the first thing people think about when they are buying food is price. They, uh, they go for food because it's, it's cheap. And then it's taste. You know, sustainability and nutrition, it's the last thing they think about it. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And Ignace, from your perspective, like the, the retailer view, I mean, what, what do you think? No, I think I, I fully agree with the, the price element. So the price is really a driver. It's not only in, in Brazil, but the same in Little Belgium. But there are different ways as well to support, uh, I think, and, and to create more transparency. I think that's also the reason why our company, our, our scale-up, was, was, our spin-off uh, has been created. We had a dream or we had a vision of, as a retailer, we have a lot of access with our consumers. And how can we help them to create more transparency? First of all, you can create new products. Uh, that's true. But there are a lot of products for the moment already in the retailer. And, and people do not understand uh, what, what is in there, uh, which product is really suiting my specific profile. So we are creating an, an, an AI algorithm really to understand all of the products so that we can try to match each of the products with the individual. And I, I think it's, it, this is the first thing, creating this transparency. I had a discussion with a doctor uh, some time ago, and he told me if my patients are following the diets that I'm subscribing, uh, for example, you need to have more vitamins B12 or something like this, he said 50% comes out of my office, they forget what I said. But the other 50% is coming into the store, and they don't find this information on the package. They don't find the information on the, on the products. Should I eat bananas or should I eat apples? So, but all this information is available. It's fragmented. It's out there. So I think from a retailer perspective and the solutions that we are driving is helping creating this transparency to, to the consumer. Now, thank you very much. That was really an interesting point. And I also sort of agree. I feel like cost is such a big part in living in London. There's definitely, we see the inequality and in like actually an increase in obesity and is areas of London where there's actually social economic depravity. So I think cost is a really big factor. So I'm going to kind of talk to Bella a little bit about your role as an influencer. So, you know, we live in this new age of social media and so from your experience as, a, as an influencer what role do you think you play as an influencer and what role do you think that social media has to play with actually promoting healthier choices and influencing consumers to make better decisions well that's also a tough question because we now live in an era where we have like food bloggers and like fitness bloggers that sometimes mix up messages and make consumers even more confused so I well I have a very privileged position where I have a, a TV show and also um, the social media and all that and I use that to provide information so people can uh, information that inspires transformation because I believe that only information in, the, in education it's not enough so that's why I became also an activist because I believe that we really need public policies to help to really give access to to healthy food but speaking as like a chef and as a nutritionist as an individual person that can really influence people's behavior i've noticed that it really doesn't work 
only preaching what you believe it's, it's good because you really have to make an impact. I always say that there are two ways that people really change when in regards to food, which are when they become parents and when they get sick. That's when they seek out transformation. But, I mean, we don't have to become sick to change. We can already have a healthy diet in order to prevent uh, becoming sick. And what I focus now as an influence is to work with children because I believe that food education for children is the best way for us to create a healthy community. Because I also say that uh, there's a a phrase, a sentence that I like to say that uh, adults that cut out sugar, they are like doing good, you know, like they are super healthy, like that's good for you. But when when I say that, like I, I mean, my kids, I avoid giving sugar to them. People go like, oh my God, poor them. Why? Why don't you let them eat it? Like, you know, and, and that's, uh, we have to change our way of thinking about healthy food. Like healthy food should be for everyone, even kids. You know, kids eating broccoli, it's a good thing. So I use my, the means of communication that I have to really show people that having a better diet, it's good for everyone, not only for our physical health, but also for the environment, but also for the small producers that really put the food in our table. So it's a huge issue to really summarize, in, but <laughs> yeah, that's what I try to do. Okay, thank you. And, you know, so that's the influencer perspective. I'd be interested from the other panelists, you know, who do you think has the most influence as a, you know, as a person, a stakeholder over the healthy food choices we make? Danielle? I mean, I think it's a lot of different factors. I think the influencer community has grown so much over the last few years with the, you know, the continuing rise of social media. I want to touch on a point that Bella said earlier, that there's a lot of misinformation out there. And because she's a nutritionist and a chef and a mother, I think she comes from an area of expertise that many influencers do not. And I think there's a lot of onus on consumers to sort of sift through who's an expert, who's a real expert, and who's just sort of using this as a vehicle to promote themselves or their brand or, or whatever. So I think, you know, consumers need to know more about nutrition in the first place so that they can follow the real experts. And I think that goes back to your other point about education in schools. We've lost all over the world education about cooking and nutrition, and that really needs to come back. So who influences? I mean, governments could have a big influence on whether kids are educated about food or not. So I, I think that's, you know, one sort of part of the equation. And then I think, you know, as adults, as eaters ourselves, there's a big onus on us to really make sure that we're teaching our kids, you know, what good nutrition is, that it's not just for our own personal health, but for the health of the planet. So I, I loved all of the points that Bella made because we really need to be, you know, not just teaching kids about, oh, you know, eat this because it's good for you, but you need to eat it because it's good for everyone. Uh, thanks, Danny. I totally agree. And Ignace, I'd be interested in your perspective from a retailer. You know, what, what is it that retailers can do in this space? I think for me, the retailer has a more than a neutral role in providing advice to a consumer. Uh, I think there are a lot of uh, expertise from, from dietitians, from doctors, from experts. Uh, and everybody can go to his right experts to have an advice of how should I live and my diet will be different from your diet. And at a certain moment, my diet will be even different uh, from what I'm eating right now. So I think as a retailer, what you should offer is, is and what I'm calling is, is like food as a service. 
I think uh, every consumer has the right to follow his own diet and should follow his own diet, but they don't find this transparency again while going shopping. So I think there is a lot of opportunity of helping the consumer of, I want to follow this certain diet, so help me in doing that. Uh, provide me the right tools in terms of products, but also recipes. Uh, imagine uh, something that we are developing right now. Imagine that you are having an application, you take a photo of any recipe which is existing in the world, and it's translating to the right SKUs in the retailer that is matching my profile. Imagine I want to take care of my sugar, I'm lactose intolerant, but I want to eat that pasta bolognese because I like it. So give me the right products in a frictionless, easy, easy way. So I think that's the role of a, of a retailer. Um, another element that, that retailers could do is based on, 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 for example, the buying history. They have a lot of data. And in my personal feeling, they don't give enough data back to the consumer. So there's a tons of data. So something that we are doing with in, in a proof of concept is we are analyzing all of the data uh, and we're giving this back in the consumer that is following a certain diet. So I want to follow the food permit uh, diet. So I'm giving all this data back and I'm saying to the consumer, you as a family, because it's as a family, you bought uh, X percent of vegetables of where you want to be. You bought, uh, you bought X amount of red meat where you want to be. And we have seen that if you give this data back in this aggregated, easy way, understandable way, they're changing behavior. So it's not the role of the retailer to change, but it's the, re the role of the retailer for me to facilitate. And what role does cost play in this? Because both your panelists have both mentioned affordability. I mean, as a retailer, what else can you do from a cost perspective to make sure that consumers are choosing healthier foods? I think cost, like I said in the beginning as well, cost is a, is a main driver uh, and, and is an important one. But sometimes... The perception is there if you if you want to eat healthy uh, it's more expensive uh, and in from the opposite perception of the retailer if you want to provide a more healthy feed at an acceptable price my margin is lower but i don't really know if this is if, if this is true um so there are certain cases that it's true but i think there's a lot of possibilities uh, of offering a good price of doing that so my mother company or the, the, the Colroid group uh, in which uh, we started up our, our smart with food company, they have a program which they called one, two, three euros, meaning for certain groups, they can make meals, they propose meals, healthy meals for one, two or three euros. So it is possible of doing that, uh, but I think the right effort should be there. So a big influence in a lot of people's lives right now is social media. And everybody loves taking a really lovely photo on Instagram of what they eat. So do you think all the clean eating trends and all of that on social media is having an influence? I mean, can we leverage social media to influence behavior? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, and also that's something good, but also bad in a, in, in a way of uh, we are standardizing a little bit the way we eat because of social media too. Like we want to play, you know, the same way and we want to like spread the chia seeds and like this way and like you see people around the world all eating kind of the same foods because of that. So what I do an opposition of that is cultivating the indigenous and native foods from from Brazil, also changing the perception of like what healthy food is for people and trying to make people understand that eating healthy can be also cheap, you know, because as an influencer, what I try to do is changing demand. Because I, I believe that the um, food industry, one of the drivers that can make them change and really provide more healthy food is changing or increasing the demand from consumers to this kind of foods. So 
I started the TV show around five years ago, and in the beginning I was using a lot of like millet. I love millet, and I use that a lot. And people were like, "Oh my God, but Bella, your food—it's like no, it's impossible to find." One day I went to the supermarket and I was trying to buy millet, and the the guy pointed to the bird food section, <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, you know, like uh, millet with the the husk, you know, the the shell is bird food, but without the shell is human food." Human food. And um, so now, if you go to a major supermarket in Brazil, you find millet next to the rice, you know? It's that way. Like, people have to demand what they want, you know? I didn't give up. I was like, no, I, I'm not going to change what I do because I want to change behavior. I want to change what people have in their home. I don't want to cook with what they already have. I want to change you know, and so that's one example. And I now what I'm, I'm working on is with um, reduction of food waste. And I cook a lot with like watermelon peels, melon peels, banana peel, uh, papaya seeds, sweet potato leaves, radish leaves, things that people think it's unedible, you know, and they throw it out because they don't know what to do with it. So, like, if you go to my Instagram, maybe it's a little different from <laughs> if you see on the, if you scroll on the feed, it's going to be um, a little different from what you see around, like, uh, the world. But uh, that's what I try to do. It's really influence people to love what our nation has, you know, love local, cultural, indigenous, native food. Thanks, Bella. And I'd like to stay with this topic of kind of like changing demand. So, Danielle, from your global perspective, I guess, do you see any sort of trends that are changing the way consumers are choosing healthier foods or not? Sure. I mean, I think there's been a a great momentum around this idea of transparency, which you talked about earlier, and also this idea of true cost accounting in the food system, which is gaining momentum, you know, knowing the actual costs of what goes into your food and really being able to assess them in a, in a real way, I think is helping consumers demand better kinds of food and also demanding more of companies. I mean, the, the power of social media is so intense that, you know, a, a single tweet can go viral or an Instagram post can go viral and really change how people perceive uh, a retailer or a, a company. And I think there's a lot of power that consumers have that they're not using. With social media, they're understanding the power that they have. And not just the power they have when they, they buy something at one of your stores, but the power they have to communicate with others and share information. And I think that's what I'm seeing globally, this real demand for knowing the story behind your food, knowing how not just it was grown, but how the workers were treated, how animals were treated, the distribution of it, the transportation, the greenhouse gas emissions. These are all things that consumers need to know now. They're demanding it. And social media can help improve that sort of communication process. Thanks. And Ignace, do you see that shift into retail stores as well so are people demanding those things we see changes uh, so we have for example an application where people enter their profile scan products that uh, doesn't match or not match so there we see really changes in terms of which profiles they're indicating so we have sugar which is an important one but then you have also all the kind of e numbers is it bad or good i don't know i don't want to want, want to have a, 
uh, word on that. Uh, but at least, again, it comes to the transparency that, that we need to give or that retailers need to provide. But we see a lot of new diets uh, popping up. Um, so it's, it's going very rapidly indeed. So, and I think as, as a retailer, you need to offer the possibilities that, that uh, consumers can find their way in an easy, in an easy way. Thank you. So we're just going to open up now to the audience. If there's any questions from the audience that you want to ask our panelist. Ah, okay, go for it. Hi, um, I want to touch on two issues. One is educating the consumer, and people say go to your doctor. And doctors, at least in the U.S., get zero nutritional education. I mean, zero. So they have no idea what they're talking about. And the American Diabetic Association just recently acknowledged that perhaps they've been giving misguided information for generations on what diabetics should eat. And, and how long is that going to take to filter down to an actual diabetic patient? The other thing I want to ask is, I mean, I'm from the U.S., obviously, and the ubiquity of junk food and attractive little uh, packages of processed food that affects sustainability and all sorts of things with all that packaging, but it's everywhere. I mean, why do I need to go into an office supply store and face jars of licorice and, you know, candy-coated nuts? Is, is that a policy decision that needs to be made? I mean, I can't see retailers responding to consumers saying, don't sell me that. So how can we try to affect that? In terms, I, I fully agree what you said about the medical world uh, in terms of, of food in, in US and Europe. There is still a lot of know-how to acquire by doctors in terms of uh, helping and supporting the patient. So and from that perspective, I, I think what we are doing as, as Smart with Food and, and what my vision is, is personally is really working on this, on this prevention. I, pre I think prevention is key, uh, knowing that the system that we have in, in US and Europe we cannot pay it anymore, so it, 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 is, it is already, for me, I think, too late. So I don't know what is going to happen, but at least we need to invest quite a lot in, in, in prevention. And prevention is about food, but it's also about movement, it's also about sleep, stress. What I always use is, is this kind of functional medicine tree, which at the roots is really food, sleep, stress, uh, and so on. Then you have the genetic predisposition and stuff like this. But I think there is, is where we want to, want to go and, and, and to support. Um, so there is still a long way to go, um, but that's, that's, that's at least the vision that I have. And Bella is a nutritionist. Do you have a view? I think uh, transparency is the key there because we see a lot of, for example, in st uh, studies around food and diseases, especially uh, with diabetes, a lot of the industry behind influencing the results and what doctors should be providing for the patient. So I think now, as we have more information about this, we are discovering everything behind these this studies. There is the a nutritionist, American nutritionist called Marion Nessel, I think maybe you've heard about her. Um, she does a, an amazing job doing that, like disclosing information from food industry, um, sponsoring uh, studies relating diseases and, and, and food that really influence what doctors will tell you. So now, because we have this information, we have this knowledge, 
doctors are changing. Like, I mean, there's a pressure. Sometimes a patient goes to, to a doctor and he knows more <laughs> of what, what he's gonna eat or not than the doctor. So there's a pressure there. And I think transparency is very key to this because now we know. We know what made like sugar a big thing in the world. Yeah, I would just add that in the same way that consumers influence retailers, you were mentioning that con consumers can influence the medical community, and you see this rise of food as medicine and, and doctors who are becoming chefs and or you know going back to school and taking more nutrition classes, and that's really important. But on your point about you know the big box retailers who are selling office supplies also having these awful snacks uh, available, I think retailers can take a stand. I mean, in the United States, one of our largest pharmacy chains, uh, CVS, stop selling cigarettes. So I, I think there's an opportunity there for to demand that companies not act like companies have always acted, that they can do things differently and do them better, even if their stock prices go down. Thanks, guys. Uh, was there another question? Thanks very much. Really, really interesting. Uh, my question, we talk a lot about subsidies and how it pushes the wrong kind of foods. Uh, but my question to you three is whether you think there's a place for subsidies and taxes to discourage and encourage the right kind of foods? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think that's a big issue, actually. In Brazil, Brazil gave the producers free taxes, let's say, to um, pesticides. Like, if you buy pesticides, you don't have to... An, an incentive. An incentive, yeah. But it, it, it's totally wrong. Like, Brazil lost $2 billion in 2018 because the government didn't tax on pesticides. So not only that, we have a big uh, subsidies in sh uh, sugary drinks production in Manaus, in the north of Brazil. And um, yeah, and so I believe that that's a, a big issue because if you go to a supermarket, you find sometimes the soda more uh, cheaper than the juice because the producers have subsidies so i believe that we have to reverse uh, we have to actually start subsidizing and providing incentives to small producers to change from conventional crops to organic crops and and so on so uh, in brazil that's a big uh, big issue and, and, you know, in the United States, every time the farm bill comes up every five years or every time the common agricultural policy comes up, you, these debates happen and where there's this, you know, call for like shifting subsidies to do good instead of, you know, reinforcing the, the ones that exist around corn and, and, and wheat and all these other commodity crops. I think there's a real opportunity for, again, consumers to take the lead on this and demand from their local politicians and their, their national politicians to, you know, vote for the kind of food system that consumers actually want and need. And, and I, I think there hasn't been, in, in the United States at least, enough of a push on those policymakers to actually vote for the food system, vote for a better food system. So I think there's a lot of opportunity to, you know, reverse those subsidies, make them for good, make them for soil health instead of commodity crops. And, and what would that world look like? But, you know, you mentioned Marianne Nestle before. She's very good at saying vote with your fork. She also wants people to vote with their vote. And I think that's important as we come into another political cycle, you know, in the United States, but, you know, in other countries as well. Thanks, guys. I think we have time for one last quick question. I think there was somebody at the front. Um, yeah, just a quick question. Uh, it's 
um, probably a little bit of an opinion as well in terms of the idea that healthy food is more expensive, and you did bring this up, but there was a study, and I understand different markets are different, but in Australia where if you planned your shopping and you shopped for a family of four for a week, that a healthy food basket that met our dietary guidelines was actually less expensive than an unhealthy food basket. And so I just wonder whether we really need to tackle this idea that we hear a lot that healthy food and eating healthily is more expensive when that may not be the case. And maybe is it more that unhealthy cheap food is just so readily available that we see it so much that we think that unhealthy food is so cheap and therefore healthy food is expensive? That's a great question. Um, Ignace, do you think you can answer that? Um, I'm trying. <laughs> Uh, no, I think I think you're right. Um, uh, one of the elements is, uh, in, in my personal perspective, is also the readiness and the easiness of the uh, unhealthy food, which is just over there. And again, I think that's also uh, coming to the part of education and helping uh, and providing and, and especially inspirating people of how can I make something uh, acceptable uh, pricing, uh, uh, which is good in an easy and rapid way. And I think there is the role of a retailer, or at least also technology can help quite a lot. Uh, spoken with companies like Init uh, here, for example, uh, and they're helping people uh, in providing with technology uh, in a very easy way, selecting the right recipes uh, in five or ten minutes, which steps should I do? Uh, because people, they don't know anymore how to cook, and, and, and I think there's a, a thing to do. And another element in terms of, uh, I just want to add uh, on what you said, in terms of um, healthy food is not always more expensive. There are also a lot of opportunities in terms of discounts. Uh, you see in countries a lot of discounts. You see discounts on healthy food, but the same uh, uh, discounts on non-healthy food. Imagine that we could create these kind of platforms, these kind of ideas, where we can only populate uh, the healthy discounts and then providing inspiration of uh, uh, recipes and stuff like this to, to consumers. I think there is a lot of possibilities of doing that, uh, providing acceptable pricing for healthy food. Thanks very much, guys. OK, we're all out of time. So just to say huge thanks to all our panelists. Um, it's been really interesting. I think we could probably talk about this for hours, actually. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we've, we've heard about affordability. We've spoken about education. We've also spoken about data and the importance of giving that back to consumers. Uh, and also actually just making consumers as like the change agents in this whole process. So really, really thank you very much, guys. Can we just get a big round of applause to our panelists, please? Wonderful. Thanks, everyone. So that was the food fight. If you'd like to know a little bit more about what we're doing, uh, go to eitfood forward slash podcast. Or if you want to get in touch, it's podcast at eitfood.eu. Thank you very much. Thank you.